Good morning, good evening, everyone. This is Abhinav Agarwal. I am your uh, host for today. And uh, welcome to the Indic Book Club Open House with Otis. And uh, this, we have been doing this now for more than half a year. And for those of you who are regular, uh, you know, regular attendees to this uh, open house, you know how this goes. But for the benefit of those who are joining or will end up watching this on YouTube, uh, so we invite people to submit their short writing samples uh, to Otis for review, for critique, for feedback. And uh, we prescribe a format uh, for people to send it in, which is uh, send it as a PDF document, Times New Roman, font size 12, double-spaced, and keep it between 750 to 800 words is, is a suggested limit. Anything more, substantially more than that, and chances you know, uh, are Otis won't be able to go through it. So he reviews it, sends you his uh, marked up feedback, and then on Sunday in the session, he will go over the piece uh, in uh, you know the specific points as well as some of the general feedback on writing. So do keep those pieces coming in. And we do this at uh, 8.30 p.m. India time. But from next week, we will do this a half hour earlier. That is, we will start at 8 p.m. So we can finish by either 9 or 9.30 p.m., depending on the number of pieces that have been submitted. And with that, Otis, I will turn it over to you. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, we got two pieces. Um, so that gives us uh, a little more time to and we'll, we're, we're not going to use more time than we need. So we, we might be on a little bit early, but I thought that we could do it. A little, we have um, Abhinav piece and a a piece. Um, so maybe we could have maybe a bit more of a discussion with the author about their intent. We can, you know, look at the pieces pretty carefully. Uh, I'll start with your piece. Um, it's here. Here's my um, Okay, so Abhinav, um, you do a lot to share. I'm, I'm sorry, what did you say, Otis? I, I missed the last part. Sir, I need to uh, allow my sharing. So, oh. right, right. Oh, to share. Uh, it's probably an update from Zoom that they make that I, the default. I can never figure this thing out. Give me just one second. Then make host, change role, remove, allow, allow. okay. Uh, this is weird. Okay. I've been up try making him co-host. Okay, you should be able to share now. Okay. I have it. Perfect. Um, uh, maybe uh, us a little bit about this piece that you're that you're thinking. I th I just developing it. It goes further. We did not read. It's not complete here. I don't think. It's not. So this started off as I I, I still don't know what it started off as. My uh, there's an echo. 
Um, let me mute myself. So, yeah, that's the echo still there. Okay, yeah, good. So I don't know why uh, what started this piece, but I think I had this thought in my mind. Let's try, I want to try my hand at something different. Uh, so the initial thought was, uh, let's try something that is more in the line of say a horror genre. And uh, as I started writing that, I came to a logical point where I wanted to stop the, you know, what could be considered a first chapter or a first section. And I deliberately left it a little ambiguous in the sense, if you look at the last paragraph, I've not, uh, 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 I've not taken it in any particular direction one way or the other, but I wanted to essentially, the one intent was that uh, if this is the first if these are the first lines, first paragraph, first chapter of a book, if it ever you know becomes one, is this something that would hold a reader's attention? Would they want to know what happens next? And uh, does it uh, check you know most of the boxes on what uh, uh, are the rules of good writing? So that was essentially the the entire purpose. I do want to take this forward, but uh, I will need to think about uh, what the story needs to develop into. Okay, am I back on? Can you hear me? Yes. So I'm, I'm using, I'm, I've lost something, one of my scenes, so I'm using the mute on my, um, so uh, bear, bear with me, the technology. So as we go back and forth so we don't have uh, that echo. Um, well, uh, great. I was, uh, I was maybe, um, Abhinav, we can put you on, maybe you could read the first page and then we, does that. Okay. Yeah. So, then... so why he picked that dog out of the dozen choices at the shelter, he never knew then or later or ever. Nonetheless, despite its scrawny build and tawny color, a mongrel appearance that looked thrice removed from any pedigree, and no more than a year old, he selected her. Yes, it was her. Ignoring a disapproving look and a mild shake of the head from the supervisor who prepared the paperwork, he brought her home. That was the start of his troubles. She would not stop peeing on the floor. No matter how many times he placed newspapers and took her there, she would not pee on the newspapers. A minute later, he would hear the trickle of piss pattering on the floor and there would be a small puddle not three feet from the newspapers. Then there were the small cutlet-sized droppings. He would take her outside to the veranda with a small patch of green and brown that passed for a gar garden to the narrow cemented path where he parked his car, but none appealed to her excretory senses. Only the Italian marble tile floor in his living room did. Every single time when she did that and he came to inspect the shit show, she would have that guilty look on her face, not quite looking at him or the puddle. The face would be puckered into a look he couldn't decipher, the ears drawn back and those eyes, damn those eyes. They half looked at him in an apologetic accusing, I know what is coming way. Try as he did, the dog would not learn. On the fifth day, he took the leash and attached it to the dog's collar and walked her to the car. There, he unlocked it, opened the rear door, door and waited for the dog to get in. When she hesitated, he lifted her by its shoulders and hauled it in. There she lay, curled up, 
on the back seat, its face flat on the edge of the seat, ears pinched back, looking far out. He got in the driver's seat and turned back to look at her. He was glad he hadn't given her a name. Uh, great, thanks for that. Um, you know, there there were things that I thought about this piece. Uh, I didn't I didn't know that it was necessarily. I think you said Abhinav that it was going to be in the horror genre. Um, so I. I, I aware of that, you know, that would be something that I probably would be aware of, you know, like the, like Christine or something like that. You know, when you get something in King, you know, that whatever is turning up is going to have, you know, something more is going to happen. So as I was reading, I didn't think it was anything more than a dog. It was my impressions were basically this, that, that I definitely developing a protagonist and antagonist relationship. But I had this feeling when I read it yesterday that I, I saw the antagonist on the page, but I did not have a sense of the protagonist. So, and it's the protagonist that the reader attaches to, it's their struggle that we attach to. We see that they're the ones that are going to grow. I think I noted to you, um, this is sort of a, a concept I developed quite a while ago, that we don't really have characters and plots. Okay, so it's not like we, I'm going to character, I'm going to grab this plot. Character has their plot, and every plot has their character. I mean, like the 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 character needs this character needs this story. This guy needs to have the event story transpire in order to bring him on his to arrive at enlightenment, or at least actually see it. It's not that the character finally is enlightened or not. They they either the choice. Um, they're, they're giving a voice of some control over their destiny, essentially, right. at the end of the story. And Correct. I, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, who the antagonist might turn out, because right now, if you look at it, just, you know, the couple of first couple of pages, there are only two characters, and only one of them is human. So, uh, I have... To be honest, I have absolutely no clue where, what direction this might end up taking, uh, and I'm not sure if that's that's a very good thing to you know to to start something out and not know where it uh, it can go. I I use I, I use writing definitely for my discovery, so I write into things all the time. I what um. I don't know. I have different projects. Uh, it's a little bit different. Do I pre-think sometimes and determine some or jot some things on paper? Yeah. I mean, in a way, I mean, I have stories in which I've really thought about them. Uh, there was a story I wrote in a fairly short amount of time, the first draft in about a week, probably. But I think about the story for over a year in my head. It was in the back burner of my, my brain. And, uh, and then I finally, you know, it, it came to a head and I wrote it down. 
So I had one or two questions uh, towards uh, the last paragraph, I think, where you have uh, made a couple of notes, uh, comments uh, uh, with respect to, I think, uh, I couldn't quite make out. I think it, you, you said something like this is, I think this is repeating or something like that. Um, well, let, let me let me go on to my little jag first to, sure. on this on the first on the first page. So, I would, just to, to give you a sense of my so when I plan because your your first your first is is it going to engage the reader? This is always our first question, and so the issues of engagement of the reader are that I, it seems to me that we have conflict. The conflict is necessary because we want the reader to wonder what's going to happen. We only can wonder what's going to happen to these forces under who's going to win. Okay. The end of the story, as I've sort of suggested before, doesn't end up with one side winning over the other. If one side wins over the other at the end, that means it was unequal in the beginning. That means we don't really care about what's going to happen. We want an equal struggle at the beginning to inspire the question what's going to happen. That's the first thing that has to, I, the second thing that has to occur is basically, I'm going to say, we care. <laughs> you know? so, so the two things, there needs to be a conflict. And then the second one is the reader cares. That's basically it, two things. There can be a conflict, but if I don't care, it doesn't matter, right? If I don't care, I don't care what happens at the end. I don't care who wins. It doesn't matter to me, so I don't read on, basically. Those, so we really want to concentrate on those things. As I read it, the reason I said that I perceive of the antagonist is that I see that there's two, two people here, right? Um, we have this, uh, this he, we don't know his name, Right, we have the he and we have the dog. I perceive of the dog because the dog is doing the dog is shit hissing, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So the dog is engaged in some actions. I don't really understand this is the point to make. So, like, so the antagonistic is the in a sense, <laughs> the antagonistic force is the plot, but I don't know who the protagonist is. I don't know why he feels like he wants to get a dog. He's not really a present person. And so what I have is if I have a battle of antagonists, sorry, antagonists and protagonists, I want to keep my hands straight. Um, I have a dog on one hand. So I don't, I don't tend to empathize too much with a dog. And I'm also not being called upon to empathize with the dog. It's the antagonist. It's non-human, as you say. But the protagonist is also a bit non. See, so I, I don't have a reason to care about the protagonist. So as I read the story about his struggle with the dog, I don't find that I care because I don't really know him. I don't know the person who I empathize with. I don't know the interiority. I don't know that character's struggle. And that's how I would sometimes term it. It's like, so you want to put the conflict onto the page. And I would just actually 
following if you're new to this follow this kind of formula put the two of them first sentence but follow that first sentence with some interiority about what the characters struggle so that we can have um um I should send you a link and maybe you can post it. You can post it as an addition to this conversation. Sure. So there's a story by ZZ Patter and I've, I've taught for years, first page of her story. And I've taught specifically the first paragraph of her story. The first paragraph of, his, of her story is a textbook, a textbook, a master class in how to write this first paragraph. We'd love basically. to take a look at it. Yeah. I will, I will, I'll send you a link because if I send you my PDF, that might be a copyright issue. I have, I steal everything. I make PDFs them in my files. So <laughs> uh, what's, is, uh, what's the book's name uh, uh, again, Otis? That, that particular, uh, that particular ski is ZZ Packer called Drinking Coffee Elsewhere. And I'm pretty sure Aditi knows it. Um, the, yeah, I it's, it's, yeah, so it was, uh, it was published in the New Yorker. The whole story is a textbook. You talk about the A story and the B story. All this stuff that I seem to be up off my head, I'm really deriving it from reading some of the, uh, some works that are just so good. And ZZ Packer's work is one of them. It has deformed the way I think about stories and stories, no doubt. But that first paragraph is a um, so so. But what was interesting, Abhinav, in reading when you were reading piece, there was piece actually had a lot of voice. So so when we you know why he picked that dog out of the dozen choices at the shelf, never knew then or later or. Nonetheless, despite its scrawny bill, on color, the mongrels, the mongrels that looked thrice removed from right. So language here in the beginning has a lot of voice. So this is, I hope will be as mind blowing to you as it is to me. Whose voice is it? Uh huh. So we have we have a character right? Who's represented as a he, but we have this arch, you know, voice um, that's, you know, sort of coming down from above, right? So now what does that do to my ability to identify with the character? That voice is really the narrator's voice. So the narrator's voice is sort of this arch voice that's above, it's not, it's not in the point of view of the character. And there's a, when we have that third person, the he, case she, when we have that third person, our point of view can still be anywhere. But here the point of view is up with this, this voice that also has a personality. When that voice, it could be completely objective and not have all of this, you know, draw attention to itself as a voice, but it could be, and be sort of unbiased and um, basically trying to ground itself. That's usually the choice. The narrator backs them 
in order to forefront the protagonist. Correct. If, if for all, all of you that, who are here, if you understand what I just said, you are doing great. Okay, so because it's very abstract, right, to, uh, ways to talk about, but we're talking, really read something, it's our consciousness. So when we have an unbiased narrator who's simply objective, that personality, and what comes forward is the personality of the protagonist because that's who we're framing in the struggle. There are some other forms, usually essay forms. So fiction would tend to forefront the character in the story, let's say in this case, the he, that third person, an I, right? It can be an I, but it's a character who's physical, who's in the story. Fiction to forefront them. Essays, when we say, I, um, I woke up this morning again thinking about that day on Nantucket when I drove off the bridge. Okay, I'm doing this voice of Ted Kennedy, if you don't know. <laughs> so um, when I do, when I say, I woke up this morning, that's the narrator forefronting the narrator, right? It's the narrator who's involved in the soul. That's in the essay form. So in this story, when I have the voice of this narrator being sort of pushed forward, but the character is in the background, I don't know aligning with. I don't know what the issue is. I'll go back to the essay. I woke up this morning thinking again about magic stances on Nantucket summer. Okay. So I have, I have forefronted the conflict, me and my memory, that conflict. So that's very clear. I am, when I, when I write it like that, I am the protagonist, the narrator is the protagonist. In this case, we have this first paragraph seems to forefront the narrator, but I know what their conflict is. It would be okay to have them forefronted, push forward. Um, instead, I get these characters who are backgrounded, the he and the dog, and I don't connect to them. That's a, this is a very, you know, this is a profound conversation about what happens in terms of our interaction with stories. Um, so I, I really appreciate the level that we're able to discuss it here. The writing in this story is, I want to, it is extremely clear. You can see, like I marked the times that I read. So 325 to 335. I read through this whole thing with ease in 10 minutes. And to encourage all of you, so that's what it is. I suspected that was the time, 325, 335, but I, I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, I just jotted down so I can keep track of, you know, keep track of my time. So the, you know, that's, that is good. This is valuable. Okay, so let, let's put it this way. I don't have characters that I care about, but I'm able to read it clearly. You can't mask 
If you don't have characters you care about, please don't mask it by writing something that's, you know, uh, obtuse and uh, difficult to get through. Don't add, you know, don't add to the difficulty, right? I mean, I, I'm a really believer in this. Um, I wrote a story, uh, you know, one of my first stories, and I do believe in this, you know, I mean, it goes, uh, it starts bad and it gets worse, basically. I start, I don't try to trigger ever. I mean, the first sentence is maybe the worst sentence of the piece. I mean, if you want to read it, you'll continue. If you don't, you did not waste your time. We want to, um, we want to honor our time always. We want to honor the fact that they're making choices. So we never want to trick the reader. So I would just say that, you know, there's nothing that's going to make up for not getting that character on the page. But it's still very readable. I mean, I've read it in 10 minutes. I didn't get everything I wanted in terms of what's going to happen or attachment to character, but it also cost me, you know, I didn't have to read a whole novel not to get it. I didn't suffer through figuring out what was going on not to get it. It was 10 minutes. I, I know this might sound strange, but I mean, it's really, that's great. You know, it's like, it's great writing. I was able to go through it very quickly. Um, I wanted to point out too, that I felt that of, so this is very heavy in the beginning. So I'll go here, the voice is heavy. Uh, we get into the action, the antagonist. Um, there's only so much, so, oh no, I'll just do one thing at a time. <laughs> Uh, you know, we talk about it's piss and it's and it's shit. So yes, so here, if I don't want to read about a dog pissing and shitting, so this is my story, Abhinav, then I will turn it away, right? So you might as you know, there are others who are just not going to be interested in going there. I I want to reference another story that you can attach to this. It's by Ahud Havazalet. It's called in Manhattan, and it has to be the Gurov, G-U-R-O-V, in Manhattan. I know DT will be, uh, it was printed in tri-quarterly. He was a professor here that my, my partner studied with. It basically has to be the gold standard of stories about a dog. There's two great stories about a dog. One is called Lady Hat Dog. <laughs> like the pinnacle of storytelling by Chekhov. And then the main character in Lady with a Pet Dorov. Here we have Ehud Havazalet's story, Gorov in Manhattan. So he's obviously referencing um, the greatest dog story ever written. We can just go ahead and give that to Chekhov. Greatest dog story ever written. And he's writing Gurov in Manhattan, so he's obviously taking on a lot by doing that. The level of that as a man and dog is where it's a tremendous story. Another, so in regard to a story that has very little actual plot, it is 
a master class in how to do it. Um, actually, uh, I don't know if uh, Cecile is here or some, someone asked me yesterday about a good example of a story that has um, not much front story and a lot of backstory and how to do it. This is something about writers. We understand that's a problem. We understand it's difficult, not mind problems. We want to solve problems. We don't, one thing we do not do is we do not call it not a problem. That I, I to emphasize, so, I mean, that would be such a mistake. We're like, well, you know what? My story is just that I don't need a plot and I can just have a lot of backstory. No, we don't do that. We say, we say, this is a problem. How do I fix it? This is what makes a tour de force. Gurov in Manhattan is a tour de force because it takes on this very problem. And in fact, taking on these problems are the exact way spirals. We, any given writer, is not capable of a tour de force. We anything. We're actually hopeless. We can't do anything. We're able to do it because of this ability to say, ah, I see what the difficulty is here. It's the difficulty that it's the tour de force, if that makes sense. It's not us. Hmm. It's the difficulty. Um, so maybe we can link that also to this conversation. Gurov in Manhattan, ZZ story. They are master classes, um, honestly, just so good. Um, so uh, just to get uh, every time. So every single time is general. This is, we're getting into the nitty gritty. Every single time she did that, and he came to inspect the shit show. So that's a generalized time. It as engaging. This is something for us to recognize when we write something that's general, or when we write a uh, group, when we write the crowd, uh, every day, um, always, anything like that, where we generalize time, we generalize number. It's less engaging because we as beings, it seems to me, are less able to perceive it. We actually live okay. with a great deal of specificity. So, and I just want to bring up the point in juxtaposition, this versus this paragraph, and the reason I checked it, oh. on, the fifth, on the fifth day, we've now gone into an exact place. He took the leash and attached it to the dog's collar and walked her to the car. That sentence is, I point to the best sentence so far that I've read because oh. specificity of time and place and character action. Those three oh, things make it a stronger sentence. And so it actually, in reading, the, what I get mostly in the beginning is voice because that's that thing that's dominant, not the details. On, in this paragraph, suddenly I'm the details of time, place, and character action. Those are the three hallmarks of scene, basically. So we've entered into an actual scene. 
uh, walked to her car. There he unlocked it, opened the rear door, and waited for the dog to get in. It's still actually a summary, but it's a, it's a summary. It's not generalized. It's just time. We're dealing with every single action. We, we're just, we are summarized basically in real time and with real our characters. And, um, and then the same is true of this paragraph. There she laid up on the back seat. It's, it's face flat the seat, ears pinched back. We could even have that more in, like I would, I would probably think of um, he, whatever his name is, names are great because they, everyone does have them. You know, his rear view mirror looked at her on the back seat, right? I would think of that because now we have a point of view through him to see the dog. He turned around on the seat, lay his arm on the, on the, he lay his arm on the passenger seat, said, come on, um, it's not so bad. So that continues in the scene in point of view. Um, so, so again, we're, we're on a very high level, but I, I would think about if I could, I would want to do these couple of things. I would really try to isolate and it, it can be helpful when we're developing a piece to really try to isolate ourselves, who the protagonist is, uh, what is, what is going to be the dramatized of antagonism. And I say dramatized force of antagonism because the forces of antagonism are the entire world. It's the individual versus the world, but we dramatize it through specific actors, right? The dog, perhaps Captain, you know, Magneto or, you know, Dr. Evil or whoever it is, but we use them as representatives of the entire world that does not do what the witness wants, but we, we personify that force in something so that we can dramatize the conflict, right? That's, that's our, if his drama. Okay, so that's my discussion on a first pretty, pretty, uh, I wanna try and, Abhinav, I wanna find, Thank you. Thank you, Otis. And the feedback was, uh, I mean, the points you raised are, are, are amazing as usual, but I think uh, uh, some of the things that you said, I think uh, can and will apply to most of the writing that I do. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, sure, Abhinav. I wanted to also address whatever question you had about something I wrote later, but maybe maybe we'll look at that. Uh, later but sure. the 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 thing the thing for us i mean the thing that's important to me actually in, in my development as a writer is when i stopped <laughs> it was not easy but stop being like hey, i want to tell people this and then i said instead i have this problem of the reader I have this problem of the reader who has free will. This is really infuriating to me. What can I do to make this reader who has free will to either read my work or not, how can I make them read it? 
that changed my life. Honestly, it changed my life. Because then I'm like, who are they? And you know who they are? They're just like me. They're just like me when I'm the reader. So there was no difference between them. I thought it was. I thought it was me who was going to write this thing. And they were going to lovingly read it because they were so happy that I was informing them, you know, and, and telling them these things. Not true. It turned out that my reader is just like me. And we want very simple things. Now we have to do it. Like once we see that as being true, we have the problem of doing it. And it's not easy. It's not easy to conceptualize the protagonistic force as a, as a full human, complex human being. That's not easy. It's not easy to identify and develop the antagonistic forces. It's easy to develop the drama between that. It's not easy to get the reader to care by probing into the character's aesthetic abilities and their humanity and their struggle. None of that is easy. In fact, it's so very difficult. Yeah. Partially because we don't really, we don't access the place where we can actually find that very much. We don't, we don't have any place to learn that other than actually really deeply at ourselves. We don't have anywhere to find it. So we have to look at ourselves. Very, very difficult work. Um, this, is, this is well on its way. This, this piece, because it's so well written and actually so well organized and you basically have identified forces of protagonism and antagonism, um, it's on its way to developing that. The hard work is to come in a sense, but you know, the question is, who is this guy? You know, why, going back to that, why does he need this story? Big question. That's a big question. Um, anyway, uh, I, I applaud you. It's a uh, full writing. I really enjoying it sentence by sentence. Uh, full. It has, we've talked about before about the, um, the <laughs> the siren song of voice, you know. Absolutely, and it's uh, <laughs> now you know you have uh, hammered the lesson of the voice and uh, point of view so many times so when writing so many anything many and everything. Many that is, those are among the first two things that come to the mind. Where what's a voice? Am I mixing up points of view? Hmm. Um, the, the way the, 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 the phrase that I've sort of given myself to try and work on my style is that the writing, a clear pain glass through which you see a world. That, that's the thing that's informed me. There's another thing that goes along with it. So there's a phrase, you, you must murder your darlings. This is a popular, you know, like show don't, yeah. okay. You're gonna hear show don't tell the most in workshops. The next one you're gonna hear the most <laughs> is um, uh, you must murder your darlings, which, but, but the thing is to figure out what it means. 
So like what happens in a workshop, just for example, just talk about style. People will be reading and then you'll have everyone in the workshop say, I love this sentence. That's wrong. You do not want people to love your sis. You want people to not notice your sentences. That is good. When they go, when they go, oh my goodness, you are a great writer. And it's very hard for us. For us as writers, I mean, I suffer from low self-esteem like everybody. I want to get from my peers. I want people to say, you're such a good, I mean, I was dying for that, you know? No, <laughs> you can't go there. Um, so that's what that phrase tends to mean. The reason you have to murder darlings is because some, they drew the attention leader. Yeah, that's why. But that's not to say that there isn't a whole cult following of people like, oh my goodness, what a great writer they are. To me, so we have to make our decisions. We make our decisions. I, for myself, have determined that that's bad writing, right? I don't want to go that direction. There are people who are applauded and lauded for incredible sentences. I just have to let that go for myself because it doesn't help me. It's not the path I want to go on. There are other people who style, let's say, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, you know, with <clears throat> a hundred years of solitude, not him being a writer. That's him using language to create a world. That's different. And of course, I didn't even read it in Spanish, so. Okay, uh, thank you, Abhinav. Uh, great work. Thank you, just thank and, you so much. Oh my goodness, we spent a lot of, we spent a good amount of time. Good, I'm glad. Um, and Aditi, uh, let's look at your work. I think I'll have to share, uh, to change that. <clears throat> there, uh, Aditi, there was a book, um, I think it's, it's Lanark. It's a he was Scottish writer, and it is just a wild book. I read it when I was in I was in and I read it there, and it had been suggested to me, and I couldn't say at the end of the day that I understood what the heck was going on. It was wild. It was great invention, but with some connections to the real world. Anyway, I wanted to Lanark. It's kind of a strange name. But I wanted to suggest it to you because you're uh, reminded in some ways, and also I think offered some of the difficulties when we're dealing with when it seems so ethical. So how do we connect it to reality of human human beings who end up being our readers? How can they unend it? You know, I think that that's the issue. Yep. Let's some. Uh, beautiful writing here. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the piece and also read the first page. Sure. So this is um, it's the first draft, the first of, an draft of a novel, um, and <clears throat> the, 
the novel is about Indra, who is uh, the king of the gods, and he's become a little bit obsolete and forgotten by the mortals. And uh, so he's thinking about retiring. And that usually means he would find someone else to be the next Indra. Um, and then what, what, what will happen in the next scene is he can't find anyone good enough. And then the inciting incident becomes he goes to his younger brother, Vishnu, who is now the predominant deity. And he says, I just want to eliminate the role of Indra from the pantheon. And they make a bet. And Vishnu says, why don't you go back to earth one last time? If you can live a life and no one worships you, then you can then you can exit. So then he gets reborn and he's it'll be really easy and he just has to not be a hero. But the world is in a lot of trouble and so that's his his struggle. That's that's kind of the premise. Oh, um, and is this is this is this coming from a, a traditional story? Is this is this does this story already exist in a sense? Well, Indra exists and uh, the Pantheon exists, but not not the story because that that's the and not 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 this not not this wager of returning. Yeah, no, no, that's all. To that's to, all in fiction. That's all in my head. I think it's brilliant. Okay, so great. That's uh, this sounds good to me. So I I think that um, well before I before I talk, why don't why don't you go ahead and read the read the first page, if you could. Sure. For the first time in the millions of years he could remember, Indra could not focus on the dance of the Apsaras. They undulated like white water hyacinths against the golden pillars of his palace. Yet his eyes strayed, measuring the darkness beyond the assembly hall, the empty space where once the gods and sages had massed to await his audience. He drank deeply, he drank deeply from the golden goblet of purple hues. It was unusual, he supposed, for the king of gods to contemplate his own mortality. The drone of the stringed tanpura that set the beat for the dance faltered to a halt. Indra watched as the Gandharva musician gulped in fear. It made Indra smile, his lips twitching under a thick mustache. At least some knew enough to fear his anger, his displeasure at a subpar performance. He did not want to stand the apsaras for the dearest companions. He slapped his thigh in applause, one hand still gripping the goblet of intoxicating soma. The fingers of his other hand clenched the muscles of his thigh, wrinkling the red silk of his toti. Va! His voice ricocheted ac across the golden pillars and echoed throughout the chamber. Kritachi, one of his favorite apsaras, was the only one who dared to approach him. Her walk was sinuous, something between the stalking of a cat and the slithering of a snake. Most males, thought Indra, got hung up on breasts or hips or long legs. The true beauty of a woman, though, he knew, was in her movement, the grace of a flick of a wrist, the way Kritachi's beringed hand goes on. Oh, I'm sorry that we're losing the last. Sorry, dropped. Yeah, go, go finish <laughs> the sentence, please. <laughs> dropped from her swan-like neck to her hip, wrapped in silver raiment. Wonderful, beautiful writing. Um, uh, here, so in a little bit different. So we don't have a voice that's separated. We actually we have a voice that's framing Indra in in this. So just to just to point that out, 
And uh, even though the, the language is, is definitely beautiful, it doesn't really draw attention to itself. It becomes sort of the consciousness of Indra and in that point of view, it seems to me. Um, so I think you're, you're um, what would you say? It's a conceit, I guess you call it. Your conceit for the novel, it sounds really interesting. I like that. I like the, you know, the, 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 the wager. Um, I, I have the question, is it going to be modern? Is it entering into the modern world? Yes. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Another question is, can Indra any person have any person as an avatar? Or does it's it like, have locked like, into, like I think of Indra perhaps as sort of a masculine, you know, we have the mustache, we have a certain amount of physical prowess. I mean, it, I'm just, I guess I'm hinting at it might be interesting if that was not the case. Yeah, so when he's like reborn, he has his memory of himself as Indra, but not his powers. And he got, actually gets born into like a very poor society where he has none of that, that strength to, to rely on. I'm, I'm guessing a little bit, and he'll be a he. He will be, yes. <laughs> okay, because I can see, you know, there's, there's just, you create more dis difficulty right for for his experience his you know the god's experience um to go into a society that doesn't already sort of honor through you know patriarchy and you know else the sort of the male the male figure and you also turn that on its head a little bit but i like i like the idea a lot um i'm I mean, I'm really interested in how you're going to depict this modern world and the circumstances uh, that Indra will then go through. Um, I think some some questions, you know, you'll want to try and answer. You know this already, but to answer some questions about to what degree does the does the person um, who is the avatar, right, Indra. Do they recognize themselves or do they not recognize themselves? Uh, the, it does seem to me that the more or less you do that, uh, the greater possibility you have for a reader identification, right? So if there's someone who knows themselves as this, you know, sort of all powerful being, that doesn't really go with our experience, but our, but the human structure uh, actualizing oneself, right? right? And finding, finding in a sense, I don't know if you would describe it as one's power, but, but that again, that sense of actualization, sense of connectedness, whatever it ends up meaning is something that we all sort of on some level aspire to, whether we're doing it consciously or not. And I think that could be a very strong point of identification um and then at the you know when we it's a, a little bit difficult so this it becomes complicated because once you have the completed book obviously I'll come into it sort of understanding what the premise was to some degree probably they understand it we're 
we're going to move from this sort of ethereal realm into a concrete realm. That is, the concrete realm is really what the reader needs. I mean, going, uh, Abhinav, we were talking about like, once it gets to specificity, we like specificity. We have a lot of trouble with abstraction. We have a lot of trouble when, when we can't really understand something in tangible ways. And with reality, I guess, you know, that's just really difficult for us. And so we feel that disconnection from those things. I, um, <clears throat> it's sort of like, I, I feel like I really embedded this, you know, for myself when I thought about the, the, some texts like the Iliad, so like the Iliad, they, they have these Homeric epithets, right? right? Brave Achilles. So if we just think of that brave Achilles, it can kind of tell us that there was just the oral poets telling these stories. We cannot understand the abstraction braver without the concrete character and their action of Achilles. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's like we understand what bravery is because we imagine Achilles. And so then to be like Achilles is to be brave. I mean, I could question that. I mean, he just Hector around and slaughters him, but you know, be that as it may, this is what we do. Or wily Odysseus. We don't understand what it is to be wily unless we understand Odysseus. So our brain have trouble with abstractions. So trying to figure out how to make it not abstract is important. And you do, I mean, you have some things, probably the most, um, the, you know, the, the women, uh, the women in this beginning, they're sort of, you know, you can't get a complete hand there again, they'll sort of remain ethereal. We have the crocodile, but it's a little bit, you know, uh, fantastical. Um, there's things about the physical reality that we don't understand. If, you know, the, the Christian version would be like, okay, so there's God, you know, I mean, is it really like a white guy, a bearded white guy sitting on a throne? And what's the throne made out of? And what's it sitting on? Is it floating? Where is it floating? You know, it's like all those, um, all those questions that, that actual physical reality will lead us to wonder about. And when we don't have answers to that, then we have this sort of, so I think, you know, here would probably, I, I mean, I would probably, at whatever degree you can understand and, and conceptualize this, this world. And I think that that's what Lanark kind of does, conceptualizes this alternate universe in a sense. And it might be up to you to understand that a little bit more. You know, we... I think of some of these movies that I've seen, you know, where they have the um, the pantheon, and it's like I don't know, really. They're all in a, in these chairs. I, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I just have trouble with that. But uh, I think it's a really, really interesting project, and I'm fascinated to see how you bring this character, where you put them what circumstance you have them involved in, what their strategy is for, you know, I mean, it occurs to the person who doesn't involve themselves in something also might shift. 
right? The person who remains aloof from all that, that's, that's also predictable and unusual. Um, there, there's, I think creating a great, a great problem for your character and, uh, and I really look forward to reading it. Would it be better to start in the concrete world and then come back to this? Like, would um, it be actually now in the world and then, I guess this then becomes kind of like backstory, but. I think that's a, that's a fascinating quality. I mean, I mean, a couple, you could work a couple different ways. In some, you don't have to decide about those things necessarily. So it could be some, your character, if your character really does not have an awareness background, you know, um, then they could kind of rise understanding it. And then that would give you opportunities for like having, you know, a sense of memory or things get triggered or whatever, that could be an interesting element to the story. You also end up starting with a character who the reader might identify with more easily. Because right now, right now we have to basically suspend our identification because it seems to me human beings cannot really identify with gods because gods don't have the struggles that human beings have. We have the struggle of reality. We have the struggle of physicality gods don't and that is really our element of connection with all of our protagonistic characters are our common struggle so yeah that's a possibility but if you're thinking about writing it i wouldn't worry about it because who is it uh, william burroughs in lunch which i could not read personally I mean, he was, he was said to have written a novel, then he cut it up into pieces, threw it on the floor, gathered it together, and gave it to a publisher. So we can do a lot of different things with our work once we've written it. But on some level, there's always going to be, a, there's always a chronology. This, then we can decide whether we want that chronology to move and then here it becomes a backstory or whatever. That, those, are, those are issues for later. Yeah, uh, it seems it seems great. Uh, I I know you're working on a lot of stuff, so you have to you know, have to have priorities. We this only have like so a good much break time. For other project. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Um, well, great. I will give you my advice. <laughs> you know, we can have a lot of projects. I mean. That, that's the thing. One excited about the writing, I mean, truthfully, everything is a project. And you see stories every And the act of creating is it, its own joy. So uh, I hear you. Um, Okay, uh, any, any questions going forward? No questions, folks. Any questions about anything? No questions, folks. In um, which case, uh, before you know, we close, uh, next Sunday, 
we will start half an hour earlier i will update okay. the zoom I'll webinar series webinar. so that it starts at uh, uh, 7:30 uh, a.m pacific 8 p.m india time mm-hmm. okay and that, that sounds good and um as since we're since it's just us right now i i know jay i've not i'm not heard i'm going to put a little a couple of people i'm sure jay would like to submit something for next week um uh me um i read work, uh yesterday and it's incredible so i would definitely hope to find something from you uh next week we could look at i, I will um, send you something. i will send you something <laughs> I'm not really trying to pressure. I'm actually completely fine with people. Everyone does things when they're ready. Well, no, I, want, I want to send you the first uh, paras of my novel. I would really oh, like great. to know your opinion on it. Okay, I look forward to I look forward to that. Um and I I love uh, obviously leaning on Ashvani, so that's without saying. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a good number of pieces for next sunday and uh, folks uh, uh we will be putting this up on youtube like always in a couple of days and uh, we'll see you next sunday thank okay. you great thank you thank, thank you, you otis thank, thank you. you thank you everyone bye thank, thank you everyone. everyone bye